right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. The NBA is back. Woo! It's good. I love it. The preseason games alone have gotten me very excited, very engaged. Miles Bridges is currently the leading scorer in the NBA. So soak it all up. Soak it in, Miles. Enjoy it while you can. This is great. I know many of you out there are rounding into NBA podcast shape. I see your listens. I see the listens growing as you're stumbling back to Fast Break Breakfast. It is always very fun, however, to pick up listeners in the summer, which we've been doing. And now we're getting some of you guys back who took the offseason Maybe off to catch up on your All Fantasy Everything podcast. Now you're working your way back to basketball. It's great. So, new folks, thanks for finding us. Old folks, thanks for coming back. Couldn't be more excited. Uh, I've seen some good stuff. Some Wizards, Knicks, some Markeith Morris getting ejected. Talking with Mitchell Robinson. Uh, Julius Randle looking good on the Pelicans. Much to John's chagrin. Uh, just the basketball's back. Seeing the new teams. It, it's so great. Um, so we have the NBA season coming in a, less than two weeks. And with that is season five of Fast Break Breakfast, which is just insane. When this show started, our podcast had one kid. We now have four kids. So, boom. So the changes for season five of Fast Break Breakfast are... There is now a Patreon-exclusive podcast, Ground Chuck, available for our $5 and up patrons. So if you want more Fast Break Breakfast, you want more of John and Chuck, Ground Chuck is available to you now. Uh, You get your own private RSS feed where you can listen to it on any podcast player of your choice. To get that, you got to go to patreon.com slash Fast Break Breakfast. Again, sign up at the $5 level. Also, at that $5 level, you will, of course, get added to our private Slack chat, and then you can play fantasy basketball with us. If you are intending to play fantasy basketball with me and John and Chuck and our listeners this year, you need to get signed up. Uh, If you've already signed up at that $4 or higher mark, there was a survey sent through the Patreon email and through our Slack chat that you should have filled out. I think like 40 of you guys have responded so far. That doesn't mean we don't want any more. We want lots more. We desperately want more. So if you want to join the world-famous international stackhouse of pancakes, Negative Fantasy League for Pride and Glory, you have to sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash fast break breakfast we haven't really set the cutoffs but i mean think about it the season starts what on the uh, 15th 16th i can't remember so the drafts will be before that so you have less than two weeks to get your spot in either a regular head-to-head league or again most importantly the most incredible insane fantasy league you'll ever play the iShop league negative fantasy your one was a rousing success could not have ruled any harder you got to get in it but if you want to get in it you have to secure your spot by going to patreon.com slash fast break breakfast also last call for t-shirt designs for the t-shirt design contest we're going to call it this week so if you want to design a fast break breakfast t-shirt 
you got to email me at fastbreakbreak at gmail.com. The design can be simple. It can use our current artwork in some way, however you feel. Uh, but we're having a T-shirt design contest. If you want to see a new Fast Break Breakfast T-shirt, just design it. The winner will receive the T-shirt that they design. Also $30 and a Fast Break Breakfast rally towel. So again, if you want a new Fast Break Breakfast T-shirt, just design it. And we'll give you $30 and a Fast Break Breakfast towel. Just email me your print-ready designs at fastbreakbreak at gmail.com. All right, now let's talk some Indiana Pacers after this word from our sponsor. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has never been easier thanks to SeatGeek. They've created an amazing app and website that makes ticket buying easier than it has ever been. They pull all the tickets available on other sites in the one place so you never miss a deal, and more importantly, you aren't wasting time. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. You get to see the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never surprise you with big fees at the checkout page. Now, here's the best part about SeatGeek for all of you out there listening to the Fast Break Breakfast. My listeners who make their first SeatGeek purchase get a $20 rebate. And to get it, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, then enter promo code FASTBREAKBREAK. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It does not get any easier than that. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code FASTBREAKBREAK today. My guest today covers the Indiana Pacers for Indiana Cornrows and is a return guest on Fast Break Breakfast, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you? I'm doing good. Great. Did you happen to have breakfast? It's how we start the show. I did, but before I reveal what I had and am undoubtedly shamed for it, I need to know, what is your opinion on Pop-Tart varieties? As in, do you like frosted ones or unfrosted ones? Well, you have exposed yourself as not a regular listener. I have a sweet tooth. I always go for frosted ones. Oh, see, I think that is categorically wrong because is a Pop-Tart closer to pie or closer to cake? Like, to me, it's more like pie. It's more like pie. So would you put frosting on pie? You know, I wasn't wasn't prepared to uh, defend Pop-Tarts right now. I'm thinking about it. it. It's it's more like a dumpling. Is that right? No, it's more like a it's its own thing. It's a pastry. I like a I like a frosting on a pastry. Like if you if you're just giving me cake or pie, you're right. There's a filling that that makes it kind of pie. But see, I, I just would not put frosting on my pie. So long story <laughs> short, I had a brown cinnamon sugar unfrosted pop tart. Well, so at the very least, you went with the best flavor, which is brown sugar cinnamon. Oh yes, yes, definitely, that's the best one. Do I shame people for their breakfasts? I was worried. You, you just like well before. <laughs> no, no, I get shamed all the time for liking unfrosted pop tarts. This is apparently a very unpopular opinion. So. Oh. No, I mean I'm I'm not I'm not going to judge you there too badly. Like if I'm going unfrosted or frosted brown sugar cinnamon, uh, I'm probably going frosted. There's other varieties where I don't know if I need the icing on the pop tart, so I, I I can follow you there. But uh, this is 
thanks uh, thanks for showing up one not only with uh your breakfast but with a breakfast related question and or controversy uh, hey, i come prepared that's good stuff you do come prepared that's like your uh might be your calling card when we had you on last i was blown away i was like that was a sharp guest not that all of our guests aren't you know prepared and know what they're talking about but uh you made a good impression so i wanted to have you back on to talk about the indiana pacers who last season Exceeded expectation, I think, by any measure. They were one of the surprise teams of the NBA. So how are they how are they building on that success for next year? What's their what are their steps forward to getting even better? Well, I think they answered a lot of the big issues they had in the playoffs. Like the Oladipo trapping, I think that pretty much stands out, especially over the middle three games of the series against Cleveland. And a lot of that was because like his passes were just so like meek or demure, I guess you could say whenever he was getting hard doubled and he was always sending it to like his usual release valves at like the pocket pass at the free throw line to like miles Turner or the opposite slot to Collison. And I think by adding Tyreek Evans, they kind of have an answer for how he can remain a scorer when the opponents are trying to make him into a passer. I mean, I know you guys are familiar with Tyreek and not that he's necessarily like some really extremely willing passer, but it gives them another secondary playmaker that they didn't necessarily have in that series. And then also like with their mid range shooting, that's another issue because they've led the league last year and percentage of shots taken from mid range. And then this summer they added Doug McDermott, they added Tyreek and they already had Darren Collison, who led the league in three point field goal percentage plus Bogdanovich and Oladipo. So I'm hopeful, hopeful that they're going to take steps towards being a more modern three point shooting team. And then just their depth, like their bench, I think their aggregate net rating and bench terms was in the red again for like the second or third consecutive season. And I think they're just a lot deeper this season than they were a year ago. So I think just attacking those three things gives, would have given them a better chance in the playoffs last year than, than what they ended up having in their first round out. Yeah. I I was conflicted in that first round series. I wanted like, I felt bad for Pacers fans for having such a good season. And I kind of wanted them to win a a playoff series. However, on the flip side, if LeBron James had lost in the first round, I felt like that would lead to months and months of annoying stories. So just my, my personal, I don't want to have to deal with LeBron lost in the first round. So I was kind of pulling against the Pacers, but it was crazy when the Cavaliers were doing all those double teams, like almost like the fourth quarter, on the one hand, it was kind of annoying because I was like, it's crazy. They're just conceding these like open shots and letting anyone else be wide open. But then it was also from your perspective and the Pacers fans perspective, annoying and frustrating because when getting a guy double team in the NBA, your team should score pretty quickly after that. Right. And, uh, and they couldn't do anything. It was just like he would pass it and nothing would happen. And the really frustrating thing was, is I mean, from Ty Lue's perspective, he flat out said like after game one that they were going to hard trap Oladipo and that Oladipo had been struggling with hedges and traps for like since the all-star break, I would say that like that was an issue and that they weren't really better prepared to relieve the congestion for him, whether setting, you know, Ram screens or step up screens like there just really wasn't a good answer. And it just led to offensive resets. I mean, even when he got the pass out and they were in four on three situations, there just wasn't enough attacking in those it was funny. I don't. I don't understand how, how. Yeah, I don't understand how any NBA team 
can double right when a guy crosses half court. I even thought the Cavs were doing a terrible job of their double teams. No, they weren't very good at it. Because it was like, well, you should accurate. at least wait till he starts attacking. If you double team at half court, then you're just conceding a fast break. But of course, the Pacers couldn't make him pay uh, consistently. I mean, the, the series went seven. So it was a, right. despite uh, Oladipo missing a lot of shots, uh, like, like it, it, you know, it went pretty far. So you guys are hoping, or the Pacers are hoping, the second creator ball handler, Tyreek Evans, is going to alleviate all those issues. Personally, I'm nervous of a team like depending on Tyreek to be the answer for their woes. I know he was statistically awesome last year, and I admit, or granted, the Grizzlies had actually a uh, slightly positive point differential when he played, despite going 22 and 60 last year. So, like, he can do it, but also. I'm curious how he's going to integrate himself into a lineup that already has a bunch of guards. And like, is he going to be closing the games? How do do Darren Collison and Corey Joseph then like get taken out of some of their roles that were very effective roles for them. So like, how do you see if Tyreek is the answer, how is that going to mesh as far as the lineups and who's going to be closing the games? Well, initially their intention is for him to be, coming off the bench as a sixth man. But my expectation is that, that Nate's going to make every effort that either Tyreek or Victor is going to be on the floor at all times. I mean, personally, my hope is that they would go with a more Houston style rotation. I think that's going to be their end game in the playoffs is to play them together simply because Tyreek can handle some of the playmaking. Plus that just makes Victor's speed that much more lethal on the weak side with what they could do against, you know, putting stress on the nail defender. But I don't I think it's going to take a little while to get to that simply because their chemistry was so good last year. I think that's something that McMillan's going to have to sell over time if if they even eventually get to it. But Darren and, and Corey will be the people that take the minutes reduction, I would expect. I mean, especially probably Corey, because they'll continue to start Collison. And I, I think with. The difference with Corey Joseph is, though, that like at the end of games last year, a lot of times they would close with him. So I could see scenarios where they would play Tyreek, Victor and Corey at the end of a game just because they like to rely on defense a little bit. Corey actually led them in fourth quarter minutes last year just because he was that versatile being able to switch between offense and defense in late game situations. So, I mean, the backcourt minute situation is going to be something to watch just because I think the combination of all of them averaged somewhere around like 120 minutes last year and obviously there's only like 96 to go around and two backcourt slots. So, and there's not going to be as much room for three guard lineups as there was last year. Cause last year, Glenn Robinson, the third was out with having ankle surgery. So they really didn't have a backup small forward. And now this year they've signed Doug McDermott. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. I think the lineups I like the most are thinking of Tyreek Evans at a, at a small forward spot. I was setting up my 2K rotations to try to get a feel for the Pacers. And I, I, I seems like I kept uh, Tyreek Evans like actually at the three. I didn't like playing, uh, I guess, like McBuckets lost minutes in that scenario or, or Bogdanovich. Because again, like I felt like Corey Joseph, you know, as you said, I, that, that was surprising him leading in the fourth quarter minutes. I didn't know that, but like I knew he closed games frequently and uh, like he was out there and is a good defensive player. So um, maybe they can play a little smaller ball with, with Tyreek at the three. And it goes to like Thad young is, has been like an anchor for this team kind of playing the power forward spot. And there's not a lot of depth behind him at, at the four spot. So did you think like, will we see, Small ball lineups, for lack of a better term, where Doug McDermott or even Bogdanovich 
plays kind of a four alongside one of the centers and then these guards? I mean, I would like them to. They had a lineup last year that they kind of clawed back from some of their comeback victories where Bogdanovich was at four besides Sabonis, but I don't know if I necessarily expect McMillan to try that simply because there's been a lot of... um, what should I call it? A lot of talking up of Kylo Quinn and training camp and his screen setting and rebounding. And they've, they've made it a pretty out there goal that they're planning to be a top 10 rebounding team again. So if they're going to do that, I mean, Nate said he has a nine man rotation right now, which means that he doesn't have a solidified backup four. but if I had to take bets, I would say that at some point in the season, Kyle O'Quinn will be playing with Sabonis. That's that's just me reading the tea leaves, but that's my assumption. If there's a nine-man rotation, and that's including Kyle O'Quinn? No, no. Okay. It's saying that right now, I th- his intention is, I think, that they don't have a backup four, that the reserve gotcha. four will be Corey, Tyreek, McDermott, and Sabonis with no answer there. But I mean, that goes back to what their hierarchy of needs are. Cause like, like you said, I mean, I'd like to see him experiment some with, you know, a more stretch for whether it's Bogdanovich or McDermott. And obviously they have TJ leaf. They need to get experience if they, you know, do they, I mean, yeah, do they, <laughs> but I mean, if you're going to see what he's going to be, he's going to have to play at some point. Like, I mean, he didn't have a very inspiring summer league as you probably know. <laughs> and then the Turner Sabonis lineups too. So, right. So what, what what are they? They're talking about Kylo Quinn just to, because of his rebounding and screens. That was a surprising signing. I, I think I, I sent you the question. Why did they sign Kylo Quinn? Like, because you obviously have two young centers, which I want to get to after this, because they're like, I think maybe the biggest question mark for the Pacers in uh, DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner, who you assume are going to sop up most of those center minutes. So like, why did, why did they bring in Kylo Quinn? Well, I think, I mean, something just for maybe emergency sake in a case, because they uh-huh. don't really have another center if one of them goes down. I mean, it was originally billed as him being the fifth big off the bench. And they said that they wanted somebody to fill the sort of mentorship role that Kevin Pritchard said of Al Jefferson was very important to what their chemistry was last year. And, you know, Kylo Quinn kind of prides himself on being a good teammate. So I think there's some intangible stuff there. But like I said, I just... I mean, last year, the second half of the season, they ended up going with playing Trevor Booker minutes when they signed him off waivers. And I could just kind of see them reverting back to that with Kylo Quinn eventually playing some four and hoping that obviously he and Trevor Booker aren't (laughs) the same player. So hopefully with like Kylo Quinn's ability to pass out of like the pinch post and that out of high, high post situations that maybe he and Sabonis can make that work just because they're both such good passers. So the the other front court guys, Miles Turner and Sabonis. I think last year was a disappointing year for most people for Miles Turner in that he didn't make the jump or the leap that people were hoping for or, or even expecting. And Sabonis looked pretty good, and it seemed like he started taking away minutes. And so now the team has kind of the question of how do they go forward because uh, Turner, you know, can be can be extended, I believe, this season, uh, and he'll be a restricted free agent next year. If not, and they'll have to give him a, a big contract. So what what is the future of those two guys? Like, can are they going to try more Twin Tower units with them both playing? How is this going to play out? Yeah, I mean, I think their intention is to try to play them more together. And I think offensively, you'll see Sabonis kind of in the role of center. 
connecting as he did so well last year. He's just really good at connecting plays, slipping into space, running dribble handoffs. I mean, he's just really fluid in a way that Miles isn't quite there yet in that regard. And then defensively, I think you'll see Turner anchoring the defense and them trying to make a go of Sabonis being L the guard out on the perimeter, which, you know, I think a lot of times when people think about the two of them playing together, they the defense stands out. But to me, I mean, I think the simpler solution to making them be more effective than what they were in extremely limited minutes last year is to have, you know, more dynamic actions when they're both on the floor. Like last year, it just seemed kind of like an afterthought because they're only averaging around eight minutes and it was coming at the end of the first and third periods, just really sporadic. So it, it would a lot of times see like they were just running the same offense that they would run with that. And I don't know that you can necessarily do that. I would have liked to see him run, you know, more horns action. I wrote about this kind of in depth. If people want to read about that, that's pinned on my Twitter handle. If people want to see it, but I mean, uh, there was just, there wasn't much done to create room for them to both have space. It would just be like spread pick and roll with miles. And then Sabonis is parked on the opposite block or the reverse of that. And miles doesn't always have the best sense for where he needs to be on the floor without like a blueprint. So, you know, it took a while. It took almost to the second half of the season last year, just for them to start lifting miles Turner to the opposite slot. And then like letting Sabonis run, the pick and roll just so that they can put stress on that tagger, whether to cover Sabonis rolling or hit miles popping. And I mean, that was just a long lengthy process. So I think there's some hope there that if they incorporate, you know, a little bit more offense that's specific for the two of them, that maybe they can overcome those closeouts, but opponents launched a lot of threes when they're on the floor. So we'll see, but that's (laughs) definitely the most pressing issue for the Pacers this year, I would say. Yeah, the like the per thirty six numbers actually like uh, Sabonis outscored Turner by a, a lot. I think it's like eighteen per thirty six, and then uh, Miles Turner only averaged I think with like thirteen or fourteen points per th- per thirty six minutes. Um, and and Turner's numbers all went a little bit down um, from his previous season, so he's kind of gone all in on this off season workout hype. Are we? Are, how much of this are we buying as far as the uh, like? I decided to start lifting weights. That should help my game. Like, are expectations high for Turner because of this workout? Or have has everyone kind of adjusted their expectations for him down like I have uh, based on his season last year? Right. So, I mean, I think he set a pretty high bar for himself with the constant deluge of, of video <laughs> clips of him doing stuff. Like, I don't know. You know, that's totally up to him. But I think, like, people are going to have higher expectations than they did a year ago simply because Victor what they saw Victor do last year, you know, he has a body transformation, comes back, pairs skills with his athleticism and, you know, takes off. So I think that because Pacer fans just saw that there might be a little bit of a built in expectation of if this, then that with miles. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be somewhere in between just expecting automatically that because he has like these dramatic before and after pictures on Instagram, that he's going to be Vic. And then also assuming that, you know, there was like all this hullabaloo several seasons back when Roy Hibbert was watching Kung Fu videos with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I'm not, I'm going to try to avoid that to assume that it's going to be that again. So there, there's gotta be a happy middle, but yeah, I mean, I think it's fans too. what you mentioned there with his numbers dipping, like his touches were almost identical to the year before, simply because he kind of took a, a backseat to Victor with Victor's usage going up. And then, you know, every time it seemed like he was making a few steps forward, it was like he had a concussion and then he was out for two weeks and then he injured his 
his elbow and then he was out for several more weeks. So it was like, you can kind of pinpoint those things and think, Oh, you know, maybe that's an explanation for why he didn't really, you know, take the next step. But at the same time, you know, his scoring arsenal needs to diversify still. Cause he's kind of gotten pigeonholed as a pick and pop shooter. And he needs to be more aggressive against switches and with the rebounding. But you know, I, I think a lot of people too are looking and hoping that because he's slimmed down, that he's going to be more fluid defending and, I think some of this all, like all that's well and good, but he's got to come back and show growth with how he reads and reacts, whether in the short role, making decisions or just defending. Like, I think a lot of people assume because he blocks a lot of shots that, you know, he's this really big paint deterrent, but he is a synergy numbers defending role. Men really weren't that good last year, simply because sometimes like when he was, you know, guarding in two man situations, he wouldn't always you know, take the necessary steps to look and say, Hey, you know, there's not a tagger back here. So I need to stay with the roller when there's three strong side people on the opposite side and rollers would get loose. So like those things, you're not going to be able to see in an Instagram picture. Like we're going to have to wait till the regular season. (laughs) Is there any talk in the Pacers camp of Sabonis increasing his three point attempts this season? Last year, he only took 37 total his first year in OKC, he almost took two a game. So, like, if he ends up becoming more of a three-point threat, like, he, he hit 32% his, his rookie year when he was taking two per game. And last year, you know, in a smaller quantity, he, he hit 35%. But if he can get up to becoming, like, two or three three-pointers per game hitting 35%, then I feel like he becomes more of that, like, he has the gravity of the shooter, and then he might take even more of Miles Turner's minutes. So is there a thought or any talk about making it a focus to get Sabonis to shoot more threes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sabonis himself mentioned it when he was at the golf outing that he had made it a focus to be working on his jump shot and be able to get about beyond three more often. And I know I heard some buzz out of training camp that he's putting more leg into his shot to be able to, to get out from distance. So, yeah, I mean, if he can do that, I mean, simple, it goes back to miles. Like if you look at his splits between popping, slipping and rolling, like it's so he's so dependent on popping. And if, if Sabonis can add shooting to his game, then he, you know, like I said, he's just more natural slipping into space than miles is. He's going to have a better read in those situations. So yeah, there's a, there, if he continues to blossom, I could see a scenario where he could continue to eat into miles minutes. If what, if them playing together doesn't, work as they're hoping that it does. So with the log jam of minutes in the guard spots and the fact that a lot of these guys have expiring contracts, uh, like Darren Collison, Corey Joseph and Tyreek Evans, they're not signed beyond next year. Are there trade rumors involved with any of these guys? Like if the season maybe doesn't start off that great, or if Tyreek Evans is playing really well and like, they just like Corey Joseph, like why wouldn't they send a Corey Joseph or Darren Collison to the Suns for some other like piece? Uh, is, is there any talk of that? Like, do you, do you expect to see some of these guys moved in this season? Well, they're pretty disciplined over the summer with how they went about upgrading the roster without sacrificing their financial flexibility. I think that's a pretty big priority because I think right now going into next summer, they're set up to have around like 25 million in starting cap space without renouncing or waiving anybody. So I can't see them being in a big hurry to trade an expiring contract unless there's like a long shot opportunity out there somewhere where they could upgrade or find like a better long-term solution at the wing. Cause I mean, you look at the East and a lot of the teams that are expected to be near the top, you know, there's Giannis, there's Ben Simmons, there's, 
Tatum and and Brown and Hayward out in Boston, now Kawhi up in Toronto. And it, it's like, can the Pacers build their team around having, you know, these two twin towers when maybe they need to consider flipping one of them if that doesn't work or flipping and expiring and trying to get somebody to place in between Victor and whoever the center they choose is. So I could see that scenario, but I don't know that unless there's like a chemistry issue or things just really don't go according to plan that I see them moving a contract just because I think they're going to want to preserve that cap space for next summer. That makes sense. So I know this is slightly, I know this is an annoying question. I know this because I'm a Grizzlies fan who for maybe six years in a row, everyone told us we were going to regress from our playoff form of the previous season, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I feel like I have to, the Pacers, to me, seem like a prime candidate for regression from last year because last year, again, they were, they were a surprise, like a big surprise. Oladipo took this giant leap that no one saw coming. Now people are expecting them to be good. Last year, the Pacers had a good record in close games, in clutch games. Uh, they won almost two-thirds of them. They had, I think, at least they had six 15-point comeback victories. Uh, they were 3-0 and in overtime games. All that to say, like, they, they exceeded these expectations. They did well in clutch situations to maybe outperform the win total that even the point differential would have said. You got career-high shooting years from Darren Collison. Thad Young was a consistent, solid anchor all year, and he's another year older. So they need all those things to happen again. And now you have the burden of expectation of the teams thinking, oh, yeah, we made it to the playoffs. We got unlucky to get matched up with LeBron. This team is clearly going to make the next step together. So that's the case for regression. What's the Pacers case for? No, no, no. We're going to beat regression. It's not going to be us. We're going to keep building on last year's successes. Yeah, I mean, actually, like every bullet point you just said was going to be my counterpoint for why I think it's probably <laughs> likely that they could maybe win fewer games this year than what they won last year, but still maybe be in a better position to compete in the playoffs because of some of the upgrades I mentioned at the top. But I mean, I think a lot of that goes back to like last year, they were so dependent on Victor. And now with the pieces they have around him. And then if you look like, I don't think Victor's going to prove to be a fluke. Like, because even if his, like his pull up three point shot was kind of all over the place quietly last year, he had a really strong finish, had a rocky middle and then had a strong close, which was pretty similar to his playoff series too. And, but the fact of the matter is that even though when his shot kind of oscillates up and down, like the better strategy for opponents is still going to be to play him close and play him tight simply because his, his speed is so lethal. Like when opponents go under, he can still get to the rim. When bigs drop, he can still get to the rim. So I don't think, I mean, he's only 26 years old. So that speed isn't suddenly going to drop off in a year. And because he's their engine and what he is as a leader and the positivity that uh, by all accounts, the team says that he brings, I think that you hope that with expectations going up, that they can kind of build off of last year's continuity with their top seven returning and Victor can either stay what he was last year, or if he adds a few things to his game, maybe take another step forward that you hope that you'll be in a better position to compete in the playoffs, even if they don't win as many games. 
That's fair. My Pacers optimism is if you just give Lance Stevenson's minutes to Tyreek Evans, that's got to be better. Like you got to, he's he's way, he's way better. Tyreek Evans is way, way better. Uh, You know, despite that that has been a debate is kind of like, I always kind of get a chuckle on that on Twitter when people be like, can Tyreek take the Lance roll or whatever? I'm like, (laughs) Tyreek can rise above a pick and hit a shot. Like Tyreek can take the Lance roll. I definitely saw some random Indianapolis newspaper put out an article that was like, can Tyreek Evans be Lance Stevenson or, or, or be better than Lance Stevenson? And I, I, I in a moment of weakness, I, I replied to the paper. I was like, come on, you know. But Tyreek Evans is a, a sell sword, sword or a hired gun, a mercenary, if you will. Does he replace the passion that Lance Stevenson brings? I guess that's a fair question. Yeah. But uh, talent-wise, there's, there's no comparison, so the Pacers should be in pretty good hands. Well, Caitlin, thanks again for coming back on. Uh, tell people where they can read you, find your work, and get to know more about the Pacers. Right, so you can head over to Indy Cornrows. That's the Indian Pacers team blog at SB Nation. And then if you just want to check out some of the pieces I've had recently, you can head to my Twitter handle, at C2 underscore Cooper. Well, thanks, Kaylin. I appreciate you coming on. Enjoy those unfrosted Pop-Tarts, and I will look forward to talking with you again soon. (laughs) Thanks. All right. Thanks to Kaylin for coming on. Such a sharp guest. Indiana opens up their preseason on Thursday, October 4th. The Grizzlies start their preseason on Tuesday night in Birmingham. Certainly that game will have the weirdest pirated feed ever anyway if you want more fast break breakfast head on over to patreon.com slash fast break breakfast a change for season five is we're begging for money like it's cool if you're a new listener we're glad you found us but if you've been with us for a while it's time to pony up patreon.com slash fast break breakfast if you listen to four episodes a month you owe us a dollar so pay up patreon.com slash fast break breakfast also Sign up for fantasy basketball. Your time is running out and get those bonus episodes of ground Chuck available for our $5 patrons. So head on over there and remember last call for t-shirt designs. If you want to get your own t-shirt and get 30 bucks in a fast break breakfast towel, you got to send those designs to fastbreakbreak at gmail.com or slide them into my Twitter DMS. All right. We appreciate you guys listening. Write us a five-star review. You can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter at Fast Break Break. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being G&G. Fast Break Break, man. You understand?